This podcast is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at aspirus.co, A-S-P-I-R-U-S.co. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. Hi, Anna. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I am well. And who am I talking to? Her name is Anna Fang, partner and CEO of Chen Fan. And if a lot of you do not know that Chen Fan is one of the most interesting angel investment funds in China. So Anna, I wanted to get to know you better. How do you get started in your career? Well, my career in angel investing, I would say, is a pure accident. It's an accident because uh, I didn't want to do investing, but I had a classmate of mine from the Stanford's Graduate School of Business. He was at Sequoia at the time, and he was, you know, Jinfan was founded by China's leading angel investor, Xu Xiaoping, also known as Bob, Bob and Sequoia in 2011, and they needed someone to come run this fund, Bob. And so my classmate thought of me, and he called me one day, and said, you know, why don't you think about doing this? Like, it was supposed to be a YC type of model. So why don't you come join and start this fund? And I said, look, I'm not interested in investing, but thank you. I did want to get closer to startup. And then he said, well, you know, don't turn me down right away. Why don't you meet him? And so I met him. I met Xu Xiaoping. And at first, Xu Xiaoping's background, I mean, he's China's most prolific angel investor, brilliant guy, started New Oriental, the largest education company in China with two other guys, studied as a musician before. So he was, you know, all my previous bosses were bankers. And I come from a family of bankers. So I was really used to someone sort of more disciplined in terms of my work experience. So I said, you know, I'm not sure. But then my classmate said, well, why don't you meet Neil Shen from Sequoia? And I said, sure. So I met Neil, you know, famous investor. Why not? Recently listed on the Midas list as I don't remember what number seven or something very high. You know, he's a former banker. And he was like, this is why we want to do Angel. And this is why Bob is the right person to do it. So it was from logic standpoint, very clear to me what the value proposition was. And so I decided to join the next day. And it's been the best decision I ever made in my life. And it was certainly a detour from any career plans I had and a risk that I took. But I think I actually found a job that I'm absolutely in love with and I wouldn't change for the world. You originally came from the US. How did you move to China then? Oh, I'm actually Chinese. I grew up in China. I moved to the U.S. first when I was seven because my mom was studying her master's in the U.S. And then I moved back to China in middle school. My mom only stayed in the U.S. for a few years. And then we moved back, you know, with my dad. So I stayed in China for middle school, but then I went back to for boarding school and college. So I would say my home was pretty much always in China, but we always sort of always had a second home in the U.S. So I always traveled back and forth mm. between the two. Yeah. So you, you have a banking career with JP Morgan and subsequently with GE in China, I guess, even lead up to your current role leading an organization. What are the interesting career lessons you have learned so far? I guess the main thing is I really didn't realize that a job could not feel like a job. I think I was always looking for, I always had goals, like I wanted to solve. One of the reasons I did GE was because I wanted to solve the world's biggest problems. That's exactly what GE's mission is, energy and healthcare. And I liked my time at GE, but I knew it wasn't sort of the final place for me. And it wasn't until I joined GenFund and I started looking at deals and realizing that this is really what I love. Every day, I don't, I really don't feel like I have a job. I mean, it's just, I'm just doing what I like, which is meeting teams, helping entrepreneurs, 
and building a company. I've, I've really, I mean, GenFund, even though it's a fund, it, for me, it's really been building a company because, you know, we have to hire people. And another lesson is really just how important the company culture is. I think at GenFund, we've created a culture that's really warm and friendly, positive. And I think that is a really big reason why people are here today and are so passionate about what they do is because we have this strong culture just helping entrepreneurs. And I think people will really buy into it. So that's another lesson that I found interesting. So GenFund is, as you have mentioned, is started by Xu Xiaoping and Wang Qiang. What's the mission and vision for the venture fund itself? Well, it's really just to discover the best talent in China, entrepreneurial talent in China. And that includes people, Chinese people who are abroad. And, you know, we do some investing in Silicon Valley as well. So it's really, we're very people focused. That's why I say it's discovering talent and helping them. You know, our philosophy is we believe at the angel stage, you're not really working on much. So it's really this idea of we believe in you. We believe in your dream and we're going to back it. That's kind of what the fund is about. And it's great to be at this angel stage because you're really invested. You know, you have a startup and, you know, maybe you don't even have a product or company yet, but someone believes in you. That's pretty amazing. There is subsequently a joint fund with Sequoia Capital that you have mentioned. So how is the fund structured then? Yeah, so our fund one, our, the one that I came in with, was almost sort of 50-50 for Gen Fund, uh, Gen Fund and Sequoia. So, and for our first two funds, it was that structure. And then fund three, we started to diversify our LP base. And we have some top family offices, some top fund of funds into our LP base. When I talk to anyone in China, everybody talks about Xu Xiaoping. He's a very influential super angel in China with, I guess, the equivalent status of that is Ron Conway in Silicon Valley. Yeah, and yeah. what's it like working with him and how does he think about when it comes to investing in startups? He's really, I always, the adjective I use to describe him is magic. He touches everybody's lives. People who come in, you know, we might not invest in them, but you know, he tells them, you know, maybe this is why I'm not investing and this is what you need to do. And I think he really changes everyone's life. We were just looking at a startup just now of people doing like bras, women's bras. And we actually have a bra company already, like sort of intimate wear. And he's like, you know, this is not as good as that company and your team is not as serious. And I think he gave really constructive feedback. I, I think he really just touches people's lives. You know, he's never really lost a deal either. I think that's another really amazing fact because he's so charismatic and he's such a good person. I think, uh, you know, amongst all the, I mean, he just really from the bottom of his heart doesn't ever want to screw anyone over. You know, he really wants to, he always thinks about things from the entrepreneur's perspective because he was an entrepreneur. He's extremely friendly and likable and that's why you know we always win the deals that we want this there's a very senior guy from a large internet company who left to do a startup and there are vcs who are blocking his apartment door because they want to invest in him and we were lucky enough to get a lunch with him today and uh, he's going to take our investment so it's just it's just because you know i think bob you know the whole team we're just we're good people and people like that so what are the categories of startups that Fund invest in we invest in mostly i would say tech related so that's anything from a lot of e-commerce a lot of what we call O2O, sort of B2B products. In e-commerce, we have like the largest baby store in China called Miyabao Bay. We have the largest global e-commerce company called Xiaohongshu, aka Red. We have a cosmetics company, Jumei. And we have another one, Light in the Box, also another public company. Jumei and Light in the Box are public. And then so for O2O, we have like Meitai, which is the largest food supply, internet food supply company. They deliver food supply to restaurants in the morning before you know they open their doors. 
stores, things like eggs and vegetables. The American equivalent is called Cisco, which is a, a multi-billion dollar company. And this is all done through WeChat, really. People, the store owners can open, can order their vegetables through WeChat. So you actually uh, invest in companies that actually build on others' platform, for example, WeChat, WeChat. I know it's yeah. the most dominant platform in China. Yeah, they have other platforms as well. But yeah, WeChat is definitely an entry point for many of the apps. We actually just this weekend announced a huge investment, which everyone is asking us about, which is Poppy Jiang. She's like an um, internet sensation. She has like almost 40 videos that have been, that have been viewed like, you know, 60 some million times. She's about to start bidding for her next, her next video. She's going to bid for like a little bit of a commercial marketing space. And the bid is taking place next week. You already have like Xiaomi and DD like lining up to bid for her market. I mean, it's amazing. And her videos are just through through WeChat. It's interesting because WeChat has created a whole new ecosystem of new media to generate on this platform. And the entry barrier for this low new media is really is really low. So Poppy is really this phenomenon, internet phenomenon. It's uh, kind of amazing. She has like 8 million fans on Weibo. So in the other sectors we look at, we have a lot of an enterprise software, hardware, big data, AI is something that's happening, VR is something we're looking at, and then, you know, gaming, things like that. We sort of all the... We also have some consumer companies. I mean, one company that came to pitch today was in the food and restaurant business. They have they have 13 stores selling clay pot rice for about 30 RMB, like $5. So they just deliver. You know, they make 4 million RMB per month. So it's a typical restaurant model, hoping to go public someday. So we, we really look at a range of things. I would say the common theme is they have to be fast growing. So which stage of financing does GenFund does? I know it does in early stage. Does it even do Series A onwards or just stays in the early stage? Yeah, we only do sort of seed stage, seed in, you know, sort of the angel space. We we rarely do Series A. I, I wanted to ask you this question. What is your investment thesis? It's really about the person. So like my best investment really is called Red, Xiaohongshu, which is the largest e-commerce, uh, global e-commerce platform in China. And the guy, when I invested in him, he was trying to do a travel app. He was my friend, you know, from business school. And he's like, you know, I really want to do travel. I said, what travel? And he said, you know, I was just born to do travel. And, I, and he's someone who's a go-getter, super hungry, killer instinct type of guy. And, you know, eventually his travel turned into, you know, sort of travel guides and turned into, well, people in China, they always ask people to buy things for them when they travel. And then turn into sort of social in terms of, okay, what are people buying when they're abroad? How much is this Chanel moisturizer when it's there? How much is the lipstick when it's like in Korea versus Japan? And then they started building e-commerce on top of that. So it's the most successful, probably globally most successful social e-commerce company. You know, my investment is really to back the person that I think is going to succeed. And what are the traits that you observe common in startup founders and companies that are under Gen Fund's portfolio then? Yeah, so I think like ambition is really, really important. So like this guy, he's he's really hungry and that killer instinct. You also have to have a team. You have to have someone who's, you know, a strong leader, but also has the right tech team and marketing team, sales team to go with whatever the product it is. Authenticity is something important. Like this person has to be not only passionate about what they're doing, but maybe have some experience in what they're doing so they're not starting from zero. And also charisma, because you're really leading a team. You have to you know, it's different when you're leading 10 people versus 100 versus 1,000. We really like charismatic founders. Your equity split is actually really important. How many shares do people have? You know, are, are, they, are people fairly rewarded so that they have enough incentive to work there? So we look at a number of traits. We have this one thing, we one formula we recently thought kind of works is called the 100-point system. 
there has to be one area where this founder is 100 points. Like maybe they're the best stylist in the world, or maybe they're the best AI sort of techie in the world. You know, maybe it's one of the best VR people. They have to have something that's really special that's way above other people in one area. Mm. How does Gen Fund actually help the portfolio companies to scale and move forward after the investment? So we have a full portfolio services team. Usually startups have three big issues after they receive funding. One is they're expanding fast, so they have to hire. Second is they need PR and marketing as well as positioning. And thirdly, it's fundraising. So we basically have someone dedicated in all those three roles. And for example, our HR person, they have 50,000 resumes in our database. We place maybe one to two people per week into our startups. Our marketing team, we have really strong connections to a lot of the media in China. We help get their word out. We help them with their uh, with their positioning. Our main marketing director came from Ogilvy. With fundraising, myself and two others have very close relationships to pretty much all the VCs in China. So we really help position their story, advise on their strategy for fundraising, how much they're going to fundraise, who to take money from. So there are multiple layers, I would say, of portfolio management after we invest in them. So do you talk to like the corporate development team, say, in the BAT? Yes, yes. And in fact, Tencent is one of our LPs, and we work very closely with them. They have an investment team as well. Yeah, so mm. we, we do. So how many startups have you all invested to date? We have about 300. And I think yeah. you also invest in Silicon Valley companies too, right? Just a few, yeah. Mm. But Which, which uh, are the interesting ones? Hyperloop. It's this fifth mode of transportation. One of Elon Musk's ideas based in LA. It's not a train. It's sort of a, that you, you're traveling in a vacuum, near vacuum sort of space at a thousand kilometers an hour. Yeah. Mm. I think I mean, that is just... What I love in Silicon Valley, we tend to really like the very disruptive deals. So some things like Hyperloop, Minerva is an online college. Everything's online. They have many students applying from China. It's really trying to disrupt the Harvard model. It's if you thought about modern education today, what would you want? You would want something international. So they, you know, they have their students spend time every quarter in a different camp on a different campus. It could be, you know, in Europe, it's. In, I think Turkey is one of the places they go to Africa, they go to Middle East, they go to Asia. I think they chose Korea for Asia. You explore the whole world and tuition is very reasonable. It's like ten dollars or $15,000 and it's really based on merit. It's not based on athletics or who your parents are or things like that. Yeah. So given that the, most of the companies you're investors is within China, do you see given that China has such a big domestic market is just good enough to focus in China and then go IPO or would that be looking at startups that can actually scale and become a global player? Ideally, we want, I mean, everyone wants a multi-billion dollar company and it's a time where Chinese companies can scale and become leaders in the world. You know, ideally that's what we want, but you know, there are also some very sexy business models that are very profitable in China that will probably go public on the A share and do very well. You know, as an investor, we have a mix of different types of investments in our portfolio. And I wanted to plug your brain on the China startup ecosystem. I mean, given the recent Chinese equity markets crash and the US funds slowing down investments in unicorns, how, does that affect the startup ecosystem in China? You know, I thought it would, but it really hasn't. I thought this year would start to be a quiet year, but it's more busy than last year even. And I think I think that's because startups, you know, what they do is they really try to solve problems. And I think in China and elsewhere in the world, there's so many problems to be solved. There are always better things. I mean, Chinese people 
People have more and more money despite the economy slowing down. People want nicer and nicer things. People are starting to travel abroad. You know, I was just the one meeting just before this. It's a cake shop. You know, they have these absolutely beautiful cakes and they're selling like over a million RMB of cakes per month on their online platform. And the question is, you know, can they make it big? And it's just, you know, it's, it's a it's a fancy cake shop. I mean, the cakes are not too expensive, thirty dollars each. There are a lot of people who are doing startups. I mean, there, like I mentioned before, there's someone from there are a lot of people coming from these big internet companies out to do startups. One area that's been hot lately is in internet insurance industry. So that, I think there are a lot of problems that people try to solve. And even though the market is not as good as before, I think real entrepreneurs, they want to solve a problem. They're not necessarily opportunistic. I guess one interesting question would be whether there will be a slowdown, whether it's in the investments in early stage, middle or late stage. If they, if late stage is definitely slowed down. So it's yeah. only the late stage companies, but I think early stage and middle is actually still where the, there's a big opportunity that actually the funds can actually now invest in as well. Well, I think... Later stage people are a lot more conservative, but I think that's because there was too much hype last year. But I think at the early stage, if they're good people, I mean, all of the funds are very well funded. Most people fundraise in the past year or two. People have money to spend. So when they see something good, they're going to go for it. Compared to Silicon Valley, do you think that the China's startup ecosystem is now closing the gap given the rise of BAT? talent reflux within the startups and also first generation role model entrepreneurs such as Lei Jun from Xiaomi? I think we're a few years behind Silicon Valley on the whole talent theme. You're starting to see a lot of people come from the secondary, like the non-BATs, people from the non-BATs leaving, like from Douban, from Wendoujia, from even Xiaomi, from Dianping and Meituan. You're starting to see people leave from these companies to do their own thing. So it's really the second wave of, and these are people who were there in the early days. So it's really, you're starting to see, what is it called? You know, second entrepreneurs. I forget what that's called in English. Yeah, sort of repeat entrepreneurs is a term for it. Serial um, entrepreneurs. Serial entrepreneurs, yes. You're starting to see more. You're starting to see serial entrepreneurs in China, I think. I think that we are starting to close the gap because I think China has some of the best product people. If you look at the mobile products, and I think China's understanding of e-commerce is even way more advanced than a lot of people in the U.S. because we have so many successful e-commerce companies. People really, especially on the mobile platform, people really skipped the whole computer generation to mobile. So people are buying on mobile a lot. And in terms of product, WeChat is probably the best product out there. It's the best social product. And it's a product that... I think Facebook and Snapchat study, you know, when they when they launch their new versions. So we actually have a lot of talent. I think in terms of engineering, there's a lot of talent, but America probably has on average better quality of engineers. But China has a lot too. And what would be the essential gaps that the China's startup ecosystem need to close in order to match Silicon Valley then, in your opinion? I think there's a mindset of think Silicon Valley if you fail your startup, it's seen as a good thing because you've learned a lot and you can move on. I think in China, when you fail, it's not as positive of a thing. And I think, in fact, more people need to embrace failure and close down their companies and just try again. So I think there's the culture hurdle. Our people are choosing startups much more than before. I think in the past, people were still a little conservative. Maybe they enter a government job. Maybe they stay in a company. But I think people are taking a lot more risk now because, you know, they've saved some money. And our premier, Li Keqiang, has made a really big push for startups. He talks about startups all the time and entrepreneurship. So people people are very supportive of it now, which is a big change 
uh, over the past few years. As always, I think more angel investors are needed in China because you need people to support these early ideas. In Silicon Valley, you know, almost everybody is has some sort of angel investing, but in China, you know, it's uh, still not as many people. I wanted to help my audience out there to understand because I think everybody talks about the competition within Silicon Valley, but I also know that it is also highly competitive in the China's startup ecosystem. Can you describe a little bit about how is it like in the China startup ecosystem, how competitive it actually is? I would say it's very competitive. I mean, like, look at the P2P, peer-to-peer lending industry. You have, like, three or 4,000 P2P companies in the past two, three years. It's just when something when something's hot. Like, this morning I was talking to someone who was part of group buying, you know, like the Groupon model. And at that time, you know, they were ranked, he was a company that was the fifth biggest out of, you know, two or 3,000. So whenever something is very hot, like peer-to-peer lending or, or group buy, you know, there's just thousands of companies that raise to do it. You know, I was talking to one of my other founders who said, you know, I picked e-commerce because this one special area, global e-commerce, because, you know, the BATs weren't doing it. And then now a few years later, he realized everybody's doing global e-commerce. And so he's ended up fighting with everybody. It's such in a competitive environment. And it's not even that, but it's also the things that competitors do to each other. I think in China can be very harsh, you know, like people hazing and doing bad things to your website and telling the police about you. You know, I think there are a lot of really nasty things that happen in China that make it hard for people who are not very local or aren't, you know, sort of tuck and thick skin to get through really very competitive. Mm. So here comes to my final question to you then, Anna. How do my audience find you? You can find me. I'm not very active on Twitter, but I do have a Twitter account, which is Anna Fangham. I would love more followers. You know, if I had more followers, maybe I would tweet more. Um, <laughs> and But Jim Fun also has a Twitter account with not very many followers. We also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook page with, again, not very many followers because most of our followers are on WeChat. We have a WeChat official account with, you know, many, many followers, you know, many tens of thousands of followers. And we update our WeChat account every day. We send an article about startups every day, an article about ourselves every day. So WeChat is definitely the best place to find Gem Fund's official account. I think you can search for Gem Fund or Jingo Zizian in Chinese. Does Gem Fund has a blog or something to actually write articles that people could read in Chinese? Or in yes. English? So our WeChat official account is basically we send our own articles every day, one or two articles every day published by ourselves. Sometimes it's retweeting, other, uh, resending other people's, but mostly it's our own content. Mm, and then definitely you can just search it to Chen Fan on WeChat, right? So I, I'm definitely going to do that now. Great. Thank you. Okay. You can find me at blongcw or at bernardlong.com. Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E, Asia. You can also tweet to us and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud and Acast. And once again, Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank, and it's great speaking to you. Thank you so much.